Hi everyone and welcome to The Constant Cheerleader, the podcast that champions the people who go above and beyond to make a difference in the world and their communities over a cuppa. My name is Gemma Stevenson and joining me today is a woman who challenges the status quo and breaks down stereotypes, all whilst pursuing her sporting ambitions. Leaving a 17-year teaching career behind her, she moved into coaching, gained her UEFA B licence and Advanced Youth Award and is now the lead foundation phase coach at QPR Academy. On top of that, she's founded Swagalicious, an organisation that uses the power of football and education to engage with diverse community groups and organisations, and has even been recognised in the New Year's Honours list for her work, picking up an MBE in 2017. Here to give us 30 minutes of her best mat talk this week is Manisha Taylor. Hi Manisha, how are you? Hiya, I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. And now, have you come in from any cold football pitches this morning? No, no. That t- Today's actually my working from home day, so um, <laughs> I'll be working in the warmth. <laughs> I mean, how much are you glad that that's happened on the day that we're supposed to be expecting, like, Storm Alec? Yeah, no, I looked outside and I thought, oh, you know, it'd be quite nice to go for a walk. And um, I mean, I thought, no chance. No chance for- <laughs> in the rain I'll probably be blown away I mean what you could do seeing as it's your work from home day and uh, instead of going for the walk I wouldn't say it's on par health wise but you know you could have a cuppa I've actually got one with me what one have you got with you so it's in my in my flask um which I, I always take to work but it's I like it because it, it's one of them that keeps you know if you've got a hot drink it keeps that hot for eight hours or more and then if you've got a cold drink it kind of it, it does a similar thing and it actually works and i love indian tea like my mum makes indian tea every morning and every afternoon so i'd always yeah i'd always have a flask full of indian tea to take in you've kind of carried on that tradition you're like every morning every afternoon it's a no-brainer yeah and and actually um because it's with the indian tea is you put the spices in and you do it over the stove with the milk and the water so I found because I was looking at work and I thought oh you know sometimes when you just want I love tea so um I was kind of looking at right what are the alternatives and um in Tesco's I'm really glad that I found the packets which actually have it's called royal chai the particular packets where the tea actually tastes like my mum's tea um so I take that in as well which only needs water which is great because it's got the flavors I mean, you've talked a lot about your mum there. I mean, you often find with very game-changing women that it's had very game-changing mothers. Has that been the case with your mum? Yeah, definitely. I think so. My mum was always sporty, um, definitely through, I'd say, my my personal experience with with my brother, my my twin brother and um, his illness. You know, she's also somebody who's been very bold and resilient um, over the last 22 years. Um, And there's a big age gap between me and my sister, so... You know, I see her as as a real role model, particularly around, you know, our journey uh, with my brother's illness and how she's pushed through. Um, And that's definitely been like my biggest inspiration in in terms of I feel where I am. So, yeah, she's definitely very, very bold and resilient. And um, that's the thing. I mean, most people would think kind of I've got my head teachers. Um, I'm able to be a head teacher. I'm in a career. I'm comfortable. I'm I've moved up the ranks. Most people would go right. Okay, I'll stay there. I'm nice and comfortable. But you didn't, did you? You moved. You moved back down the ladder, really, and started again. But your choice to move um, career wasn't um, just 
inspired by your love of football, there was another reasoning behind it, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, because it was actually um, in two, so 2011 is where I took the plunge, but it was that was purely circumstance based because I qualified as a teacher with my uh, QTS, a primary school teacher, in 2001. So I was in it. 10 years was 10 years almost 10 years full-time and then decided that really i would take a school terms break because i was doing my master's in leadership i completed and passed my trainee headship and my mum had a triple heart bypass and my brother's with my brother's illness he needs absolute one-to-one care so it was there was a lot going on but i was also serving an interim deputy headship and the commute was quite a lot so i thought i'm better off just taking a term out let me complete my master's um you know i i, I saw out my contract as a deputy head uh, in the summer uh, with the view that i would probably want to go back into a full-time school post in january but perhaps try and find either a deputy or maybe you know in a new academy or a new school that where I could, you know, start my headship journey that have sport as a big part of that. But anyhow, that didn't happen because those who I had made connections with throughout my teaching career in sport, particularly football, reconnected with me once they found out that I was no longer full-time in education. And a lot of voluntary opportunities came up and it was an opportunity for me to have a think about something new something different but something that i was always connected with with my brother and that spared me on to want to pursue something in football but at that time i didn't know what it was but i just felt that what football did was helped me to reconnect with my brother because with my brother's illness is very unique in the sense that started off with depression it was psychosis and schizophrenia kind of falling in between some of say these categories that you have and he he now like 22 years on is in a place where yes we look, take care of him at home but he hasn't he doesn't verbalize as we do so he actually will not say anything and the he will he may give you a hmm yeah but that is it and i found that sport particularly for me football was a way of being able to reconnect with him because physically he's fine so you know he can throw and catch he can kick the ball it's just in terms of comprehension, you have to really break down statements and you have to um, add a visual to what you're saying and not give too much information all in one go because yeah. it's almost like brain overload. So, you know, started to experiment in the garden and found that actually there will be others like him. But I also felt better in myself and I felt good about it. So I thought, you know, I'll take a risk and just start something new. And that then led to me taking up these voluntary opportunities. I, I connected with Wingate and Bridgley Football Club, which is my local non-league club, who actually were already running a great disability programme, but the person was moving on. So it was just something that I could then continue with and maybe try and evolve. And we ended up, you know, linking with Middlesex County FA, um, who provided some funding and support because it was just really challenging because the nature of the, the people that we wanted were actually like my brother with regards to those who actually need support workers and carers. Now, it wasn't a case where we excluded, excluded others um, because we did have some who um, suffered from mental health conditions that didn't require a full-time carer. But 
what I also understood, and particularly with my brother's journey, with you know, it's been 22 years, and the amount of therapists, you know, uh, that we've connected with and tried the number of social workers, uh, agencies, psychologists, it's countless. So what that also did was give me an opportunity to actually understand firsthand, hold on a minute, there are people like my brother who um, sometimes are excluded because there isn't enough access to sporting activities for them where you have care workers that actually need to be there and provide guidance. Now, I, I think that that's a lot better now, but definitely when I was trialing these things out, we were struggling to find activities for my brother, but within the area. Yeah. So there were certain boroughs that we were finding that are doing some fantastic work in that in that space. But within where we lived, it would be too far for my brother to commute with the carer, or it would be a case of he can't access the, the provision because we don't fall into that catchment. So this was just an opportunity to sort of reconnect, try something to see actually could it benefit other people? And it did. But unfortunately, you know, it's when I then became full time again, but you know, um, at, at QPR, it was very difficult for me to run it. So we were then trying to source funding. And of course, there just isn't, it's just difficult to source funding for somebody to, to actually be there. And then for me and the club to provide support. So it was a case of, can we source some funding for a coach to actually run it? Or maybe two coaches because of the nature of the people that we were, we were getting. I would then be on hand with the club, with, with Wingate, you know, yeah. but it should, we, we've been, um, to and fro with conversations over the last number of years and it's something that we want to restart again but unless we have funding if I'm honest we can't and and that, then you had COVID hit on one hand it's the psychological impact of COVID and actually there's a real need for this but on the other hand there's a lot of redundancies there's, there's a real lack of money at the moment but hopefully it's something that we will be able to restart again but that really is going to be determined by funding and support. And since then, so from, you know, since 2011, it's been, I'd say, it's been about 19 years since I kind of qualified, you know, qualified as an educator, but I didn't want to just leave that behind. So what I was able to establish was Swagalicious Limited, which is, which in essence is me. So I will yeah. go out and freelance. So until I, you know, where, for the number of years where I wasn't full-time at QPR, um, I was supply teaching, I was doing one-to-one -one tuition, doing the voluntary work to see what opportunities in football there are, both in the women's game and in the, you know, and in the boys game, predominantly grassroots. And that gave me an opportunity to also connect with different people, which I did. And, you know, just some examples are, um, for example, connecting with Kira Allen and Charlotte Edwards when they were at Middlesex County at the time, that allowed me in to have a look at the Gale Centre of Excellence, volunteered, that led to a role with the Development Centre, that then led to a role as head coach at the actual centre. And then in my last season there, I was centre manager, which was great because it meant that I was able to not only transfer teaching and, and pedagogy and, and, and player development and understanding or child development and understanding, because I, I didn't specialise in PE, funny enough, I actually had <laughs> my degrees in BA in education and my specialism is early childhood education. I never taught PE. PE was normally my PPA cover. External people came in and taught it. So what the centre manager role allowed me to do was also think about my time in um, 
as a senior manager but in schools mm -hmm. so this was me this was me now thinking about okay how can i link this learning and this experience into another context and i found that there are actually very few opportunities particularly when you're a woman and you're an ethnic minority woman but at the higher end of the game there's lots of voluntary opportunities there's lots of opportunities at grassroots which is great and i think that you know if you're somebody who has a full-time job and that's a hobby that's fantastic if you're somebody who wants to pursue this as a career i think it's really important to learn your trade and hone in on certain things but when you've now when you're now you, you're you've done that and you still continue to do some pockets of volunteering um because i think that's really important but you're really now thinking about okay i want to pursue this as a career that's where i feel that there's challenges yeah because it, you know it's especially when it's not what you know first it's a new environment so you have to get to know more people get connected with how the system works who knows who what jobs are available uh what qualifications do you need and like you said earlier that it was starting from scratch so i'm going from the pinnacle of a teaching career where okay now you're a head teacher and yes you know people might say well you didn't need your own school but in essence had i stayed on in education perhaps i would have yeah um and it might be you know do you want to become an offset inspector and other things but on paper you're at the top end of what you could potentially achieve to now going into something new where you're now having to start from scratch that was really hard i took a significant pay cut you know you're scrambling for money but i'm fortunate that i, ha I had family support yeah which allowed me to continue and then what i did was find other means of earning money so lucky for me i was able to draw back on teaching and look okay how much do i need at the end of the month how, where can i earn money how can i also gain experience in football and my role at qpr really only came about because because of the connections and just putting your face out there and getting to know different people and i got to know chris ramsey in 2014 but he wasn't at qpr at that time and i didn't have my b license anyway but we spoke and had a conversation and he pretty much said to get more time on the grass and keep learning the trade but you also need a b license at a prerequisite to work in the professional game so got my b license in 2015 working at an under 16s boys crossroads club which was fc Laysonstone. um still working at middlesex at the time part-time still working with show races on the red card freelancing the fa delivering equality work and supply teaching and doing lots of other bits i met chris again in 2016 at troy townsend's kick it out event where we were both mentoring uh, around that time there was a restructure in the women's game so the center of excellences were folding to become regional talent clubs but you had to obviously apply for the apply for the licenses and middlesex as a county didn't get a license to become an rtc so i was actually actively looking at rtc jobs yeah and when chris asked what am i up to that's what i replied with you know thinking about an rtc job i'll be out of a job soon because middlesex are folding with regards to coaching and he said well i haven't got any jobs at qpr but you're more than welcome to come in and volunteer have you got your b license as a job you know passed my b license last year 
and that was that I, I just grabbed the opportunity with both hands um i was man marking him asking him when i can come in i'd be there at like 10 30 in the morning i wouldn't leave until 8 8 30 at night because i'd look at the 18s i'd you know speak to the coaches i'd go into their strength and conditioning go to the gym see what they do go to the education um and then in the evening i'd walk over the road to have a look at the school boys and the younger ones train and just get to know what you know chris wanted what the philosophy of the club was get to know what how, what an academy is and how an academy runs because that would have been my first experience of uh, even being allowed access into a professional football club yeah now prior to that i have to say um miguel rios who was at brentford at the time he uh, he works in um he worked in recruitment and he got me in as, as a scout and he was you know that was actually say qpr being um I had more access at QPR, but what, what Miguel allowed me to do was actually to learn something new. Yeah. Um, and that was a great experience. And, you know, at times I was allowed to go in um, just from the outside, go and watch some of the training sessions. And following on from that, you know, when I met Chris, being able to now be on the sideline and watch training, speak to the staff, get to know what you know what an academy looks like was great for me and it was then about me understanding okay how does this relate to uh, a school and what I've been used to because it was a new environment you know the culture is different the demographic of the people in, in in the environment is completely different to what I'm used to in primary schools well did, did that for four months I would probably do about or did about uh, 20 hours of volunteering a week and then earn money around it and then fortunately, there was a change in staff in September that year. And Chris called me and said, right, you're going to start with the under nines. That was that. And then an opportunity opened out with the Premier League ECAS program, mm -hmm. which is the elite coach apprenticeship scheme. And those who were successful um, get placed. But I didn't need to be placed because I was already at club. And they fund in essence your full-time job yeah so it starts with full funding and then you know it's incremental i had funnily enough applied for the ecas before qpr didn't get on it and this was through riz raman at the pfa but you know the feedback was that you need to get more club experience and it was catch 22 because you're trying hard to get that experience but you're not really getting the experience so what i did try to do though was within the grassroots environment try and get as much experience as i could but this time going into interview and, and when I did my presentation, I felt a lot more confident in presenting. Um, there were similar people on the panel, but I felt that I'd been at QPR for two years. You know, I'd, I had tangible evidence that I was able to show to say, look, this is how much I've developed since the first time I met you to my from my time at QPR to where I, you know, where I feel the course could benefit me. And Fortunately, you know, the academy direct, our academy director, Alex Carroll and Chris applied on my behalf, passed the, passed the uh, interview, and that then allowed me to become full-time. So I'm now coming into my fifth season full-time, and my responsibilities have evolved, which is great with regards to uh, my own development, and part of my role is to oversee foundation phase, uh, part of my role also is to work closely with Chris Ramsey with regards to the admin part of his role, looking overseeing and looking over 
both phases, so from nine to nine to sixteen, um, particularly around the processes, which is great because it allows me to directly transfer learning through my deputy headship and my learning on being a trainee head. And I've always been honest that I don't actually want to coach. Say I don't want to coach full time at the moment. I feel that my journey is around being a good assistant mm -hmm. as an academy manager yeah. or that type of role. Um, you know, and wanting to be a good number two, wanting to work under somebody who I can learn from and hone in on my trade while I'm still growing and developing within the system. But I feel that's where my skill sets are. But I'm on my A license, you know, and um, I feel that continuing to hone in on my trade as a coach is equally important. And who knows if there are opportunities that come up that I think, oh, this is one that you can't turn down. That's completely different. But I do feel that my strength lies in kind of the strategic overview and the planning and working closely with Chris and him, you know, empowering me and, and developing and evolving my responsibilities is allowing me to gain firsthand experience of some of the operations around the coaching part of the academy. And, and who better to learn from, you know, somebody <laughs> who's got a great track record of developing players, somebody who's developed, helped to develop, you know, like multi-millionaires. So for me, he's he's the best in the business. And, and I'm fortunate to have, you know, him as my as my mentor. And how important do you think it is, not just for women in football, but for um, women from ethnic minorities to see somebody like you in such an integral role next to somebody like Chris Ramsey, you know, because um, you grew up in the 80s, didn't you? Um, and I grew up in the early 90s. And I will say that even now, like I'm in sport now, but even in the early 90s, seeing women in sport full stop was not a m big thing, was it? You didn't see a lot of it and it, it didn't feel like a career path. Yeah, no, no. And, you know, I think about to when I was young and playing football and that would have been so started playing football eight or nine that's about 19, 1989 1988 and there were hardly any women playing football but there were definitely not very many south asian indian girls playing football so although i played for my school team my best friend jenna actually played for barnet which was our local girls um kind of more elite team yeah uh, if you would term it like that and there was trial and you know jenna's mum asked my mum if I could go along. And I got in, actually. I went for trial, got in. But for my mum, it was a big thing, you know. And the lack of visibility, I feel, almost hampered my chances on ever being a player. Ability, obviously, would have come into that. But the fact that I actually got in, uh, I played football all the time. You know, a lot of street football with my brother. But unless you have access to opportunities, you kind of through not practicing as much yeah you're not as good as you were you know when you were practicing so i think that if at that time my mum had seen more south asian and indian girls playing football her attitude might have been different and her response might have been actually i will take you on the weekend whereas for her it was play at school because it's easy and it's at school mm -hmm. you school my school was walking distance yeah this now requires her to have it's a big commitment to have to take somebody on a weekend and you know you've got matches and things like that and there was two of us obviously that me and my brother are twins so you got my brother as well and then not seeing indian girls playing that sport for her 
that was a, a definite no-go yeah you know she's it, her for her it was what will people think what will people say whereas i look now and i think right it's great that more women are engaged in sport i think women's football has evolved a lot more than definitely you know when i was growing up and there's a lot more opportunities now but we're still having the same conversations about south asian women still having the same conversations so i'm looking at so i'll um you know i'm 40 and i think okay we're talking about i i reminisce about experiences for me when i was an eight-year-old i didn't think as a 40 plus you know 40 year old that i'm still having those conversations but you are how many now it's better i'm not saying it's not better and i definitely think that there'll be a generational thing because yeah. it is better and you have got a lot more say a lot more you've got a lot more participation at grassroots you've got a lot more engagement at grassroots not just in playing but in other aspects of football but you are seeing a few now which is great young women who are from indian south asian communities and playing for clubs so you've got a couple in england pathway you've got some you know a couple in america uh, in in italy playing in syria uh, you know, so you are seeing so you are seeing that, which is great, and I think in time to come that's going to increase. But um, I don't think the change has happened as quick as I would like it to happen. And I think if I look at myself in my job, so if I look at, as in when I say my job, so my full time job at QPR, I'm the only person who looks like me in all ninety two clubs doing my job. That's as a woman. That's as an Indian woman, and then you're looking at okay well are there any south asians male doing yeah. that type of job no there aren't so for me that says actually that hasn't moved quick enough that's too slow and i'm say i'm in my role not by tokenism but i am also in my role because i have a head of coaching i have owners i have a director of football who's visionary and forward thinking so if it's not Les ferdinand and our owners and it's not chris ramsey who are open to inclusion and diversity now you don't have to be black asian or my you know from a minority group because alex carroll's a white man mm -hmm. and he has empathy and will look for the best people for the job so he doesn't you know he he, he doesn't make judgments based on people on what they see what he sees so you don't have to be of a certain color it can be anybody but i think what's important is transparency and, and being open now unless you have that it's not going to change you know you're going to continue you have to keep you have to keep fighting yeah no i can i completely understand that it kind of feels like yeah okay um we're, we're starting to make steps but really um <laughs> the steps should have been a lot bigger and so then moving on to i mean you are on the um uh asian sports list this year so how important is is it to have like an award ceremony like that so that the next generation can come through because like you've said in your previous answer hopefully the next generation will see this and will move at a faster pace i think things like the asian sport list the asian football awards are really important as are things like the football blacklist for example because what they do is provide recognition and highlight the work of people from those groups and at the moment it's needed because actually it is people from those groups who perhaps are not getting seen so eventually we want to come to a point where you're recognizing them actually 
for the recognition and not for the recognition and the fact of, oh, I didn't know about that person. Is that, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that but does. At the moment, there's a need for it. And that for me is no different to having a course. Like the ECAS that I was on was for BAME and women. Yeah. Now we want to get to a point where you don't need that. Yeah. But the reason we need these as interventions or as uh, ceremonies or the, these awards is actually to not only recognize and say, wow, look at these great, powerful role models, but also because what we're saying is, is hold on, you know, when you've got jobs, there are these people who are qualified, these people who have the experience. These are the people that we should be looking at. Yeah. Whereas I think at the moment, that's what this these these awards are doing that in twofold. And when I found, you know, I looked late last night when I, um, after I'd got home from work, uh, and I thought, wow, that's really nice. And my reply to the, to, to the tweet was around, here is to actually continuing to break the norm and continuing to, you know, break down stereotypes, because actually, that's the whole point of it. For me, that is the point. It's the point is to show, hold on a minute, these people do exist. You have black people who are played the game, have the qualifications, some who have their pro license, still not getting managerial positions. That's ludicrous. That's got nothing to do with whether they're good enough. That's got everything to do with what they look like. That is no different for those from South Asian communities. Now, having said that, there aren't as many people from South Asian communities, especially women, who have some of those qualifications. So what we then need to look at is, okay, how can we help support that? And I think that there are programs and initiatives now that are doing that, which is great. Unless we have these programs as interventions, because it's needed, or we have, you know, these ceremonies is for recognition, which I think is great. And I think it's really important. And the celebration part of it is important for that community, that culture. So you look at Black History Month, it is about Black history. So it shouldn't be diluted with other forms of history because yeah. it is about saying, actually, there are great people who are poets, are playwrights, are this and that. Let's talk about and celebrate that. Likewise with Asian Heritage Month that we had recently um, going into feeding into the Asian sport list. This is about Asian role models, you know, looking at, right, who are the people at all levels of the game? What are they doing? You know, and how can we, uh, how can we use the platform to elevate their voice? And then I think it's about using your voice. So it's, this isn't just about me. This isn't just about like you, this is about using your voice so that we can then, um, or create a movement but what we want to do is open pathways and open doors that is ultimately what we want to do you're not the only voice that's shouting out about it and you don't end up the only one doing that job because that's not that's not right it is do you get the feeling i mean i i totally get what you mean because coming from the disabled community myself like people often ask me about these initiatives that are for getting more disabled people doing things and i'm like no but they're needed right now because literally we don't get chosen uh in in a standard process I'll feel working in the media that sometimes you're that lone voice there and you sometimes get this kind of niggling in your brain going, God, am I being annoying now? Am I suddenly turning into somebody who should shut up? But then you kind of feel, no, I need to keep going because this is the only way it's going to change. 100%, um, you know, and I really empathise with that because I've also seen that like with my brother and this thing around mental health. And I think that, unless we continue 
to shout out about it, things won't change. Because what we know already and acknowledge, and I think that a lot of this is about awareness and our self-awareness. We are aware of what the issues are. We live it, we breathe it, we go through it. We are also aware of how other people respond. So I've got to the point now where I'm hearing what people say, but I'm not bothered about whether they get sick of it or not because we live it. When you live it, you know the fight and you know the struggle. So if you really want to create change, you've got to keep battling on so that and so that we can hopefully make it easier for people after us, just like those before, those mm-hmm. before us have done that. You know, that's no different now. So I, I that's the, the point I'm at now is be credible, be be uh, be good, be humble and, and be willing to learn your trade. So continue yeah. to do that because then when opportunities arise, you are you are ready to, to 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 apply just as anybody else. But you have to use your voice because if you don't do that, it's you know, the silence, the silence will just allow these things to carry on. And I think, you know, that that's not what we want. Exactly. And um we're now gonna reach the point. I'm gonna turn you into a cheerleader, Manisha. And um it's we're gonna start with our cultural exchange. Now you've already given us so much. Uh there's been so much brilliance come from you already in this episode that people can take away next week but um have you got um a cultural exchange that you could give our listeners so in the world of cheerleading a cultural exchange is when we go to international competitions we give people from other countries a gift from our country and they return the favor basically um just so we can learn more about different cultures and different countries so this is your chance, Manisha, uh, to give us your cultural exchange from your world to our listeners' world. So I saw an interesting tweet yesterday and I really learned, I felt I learned something new from that. And I'd like to share that as, as my cultural exchange. So the, the launch of Black History Month, and I saw a tweet where somebody spoke about Black Sikhs. And I thought, wow. I actually, I don't know any black Sikhs. Mm -hmm. And that was about bringing cultures together. And I think it's really important that during Black History Month, we go and we educate and we find out about black history. So I didn't know that there were black Sikhs. And when I looked at that, I thought, wow, there is so much I don't know, actually. Mm -hmm. There's so much I don't know. I need to go and find out more. I need to go and find out about how, um, you know, cultures uh, are similar and how cultures are different. And I think that we need to go out and find out more about black poets, about black writers, about, um, you know, the great work that we have people from our black community that are doing and, and just and celebrate that. One of the things for me is when we look at text and educational books, how many represent black people how many in my opinion not that many and then you look at teenagers in secondary school how how many you know when they when they're learning about different types of texts how many of those are written by black people or about black people and black culture so i would say go and find out more during black history month i think that's a very important point 
And um, so now uh, you've given us something to go away and do. Now you've got to give us some motivation. And so uh, we're moving on to our Mac Talk section. Now, Mac Talk uh, is also something that's found in cheerleading. It's when um, a stunt group is doing a particularly difficult stunt and the rest of the team are on the mat, kind of giving them a bit of motivation to kind of hit it and to make it happen. And um, so uh, for your final bit of cheerleading duties, I would love to hear your Mac Talk for this week, your little bit of motivation for our listeners. So my... my a bit of motivation would be that have the confidence to use your voice to really elevate the cause that you believe in. So if that is about inclusion, diversity, for example, and you feel that you're having a hard time or, you know, things aren't going the way that you'd like, there's a real lack of opportunities out there. Rather than being... Um, sad about it because it is easy to become frustrated I'm not saying don't become frustrated but have the courage to use your voice and do something about it and you have to be bold and you have to have a lot of resistance to persevere find different ways that will allow you to fulfill your ambitions the journey is not going to be from A to B it's you know as we know the route's going to take lots of curves and it's going to be up and down but there is a way and there is always a way what you have to do is find how you can do that that is a perfect piece of mat talk and and definitely uh, i would say is a very manisha bit of mat talk um <laughs> i i hope you gave that sort of mat talk to the queen when you collected your mbe you know um because who did your mbe was it the queen or was it the uh, or was it another? no it was actually um uh, it was pr- uh, prince william yeah and as you're really nervous at that point anyway, but the thing is you get told what you can say and what you can't say, you know, you're, you're schooled beforehand and it's literally only respond to what he says. And so all I've got left to say is um, it's been a really, really informative and entertaining chat today. So thank you. Thank you, Manisha, for giving up some of your time and some of your rainy work from home day uh, to join me today. And thank you to everyone once again for listening. Um, I'll leave you with one final message and that is to stay safe and stay well and we will meet again at the same time next week to champion another of life's cheerleaders. Thank you.